Welcome, everybody. Um, this episode of The Communitarian, I have my friend Blaine Woodson on. And uh, so Blaine kind of, we, we kind of kept in touch since he's graduated from Warburg a little while ago. I won't age either of us there, but. Uh, oh, I, I fully, I fully <laughs> own being almost 27. So wait, when. You graduated 2016, 17? 17. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we've been in contact on and off, and he was telling me that he uh, had kind of challenged himself to undertake, like, somewhat of a sustainability um, project slash initiative. And uh, so was that was that something was this something that inspired you or what is this so just about one aspect of sustainability or what what is it all about well i think it started with one aspect and it's kind of it's kind of devolved and evolved into i think a lot more than just the one thing and so the project began almost just just over a year ago i guess at this point when our world went to hell and mm-hmm. we were inside all the time and I had nothing to do and I was just bored. Um, and I've always been like a crafty person um, and like into that kind of stuff. And so I just decided, Hey, like why not try to make some of my own clothing? I mean, I'm stuck in the house all day. Uh, might as well. And I'd been knitting at that point for, Oh God. How old am I? I'm 27. I mean, I've been knitting for 12 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I'd already been making clothing um, in that context, but I'd never really tried my hand at, you know, more traditional commercial-looking uh, clothing. And so I had a vintage sewing machine that had been passed down from my, like, aunts and my mom, Uh and I just started with a t-shirt and it's, it's kind of evolved from there. That's awesome. Um, so you're using the, like a sewing machine that your mom and her mom yeah, have and I, used. Yeah, I have that one and I use that one quite a bit still. And then I ended up purchasing another more modern one for more like intricate stuff and more detailed work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the machine I started on is 30 years old and runs like a dragon. That's awesome. So, like, was there a moment, was there, like, a singular moment 
that that like inspired you to do this or was it just like sheer boredom where you were like you know i have the skills and the means to do this i kind of just want to try it because i've had experiences with both things like i am not as craft or like crafty but i have started repairing my clothes more because like i work outside i get holes in my clothes and it you know it'd be very easy for me to just like throw a pair of pants away but sewing a patch on you know or something here or there i do dabble in that so i don't yeah i don't know if there necessarily was like a defining moment i've already always i guess had a like impulsive personality where i'll i'll find something i want to try and i will just go at it like 110 percent right away and i mean sometimes i burn out on it sometimes i don't um and so i think this was it a was kind of one of those uh, yeah i'm just bored let's Mm -hmm. let's just do something but sustainability has always kind of been in the background of my life just growing up in a rural community um which i don't necessarily know if people generally think of that as sustainable living but um it how we use and how we use things for what purpose was always something that was discussed growing up like how do we ensure that we're not wasting which mm-hmm. i think some of that comes from that sort of rural mentality of we don't have a lot so we need to use what we do have wisely yeah um, and so it started there and has kind of spread into other aspects of my life. And so, um, whereas maybe even three years ago, I would, you know, go to old Navy, buy those cheap four or $5 t-shirts, wear them for three, four months during the summer. And that point they'd like, you know, shrunk in the wash or I'd spilled stuff on them or they'd just been ripped and I would just throw them away. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't do that anymore. Um, partially because i realized that got expensive and i I think i think that it was part of the driving factor behind this is the cost of living Mm -hmm. but also just the annoyance of i bought this three months ago and it's already crap right and so like how wasteful is that Mm -hmm. and so this project was born out of a little bit of that space a little bit of boredom and now it's it's more of a challenge, I guess, really, than anything to see, to push the limits of what can I make for myself. Um, if, if I mean, we experience what it's like for our entire world to get turned upside down. But, hey, we still had electricity. We still had access to the Internet. We still had all of this stuff. But there's that sort of, like, survivalist instinct in there of, what if all of that disappeared? Could I still provide for myself? Which is super dark mm-hmm. and twisted. But, I mean, it's still kind of an interesting exercise. Yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, honestly, that sounds like the perfect concoction of things. You know, whether on the surface they look good or bad, like, it's led you to this point, and now you're, I mean, perceivably a better person because of it, you know? Yeah, and, and I guess... I. I wouldn't say, like, 
I hate I hate the whole concept of being like a quote better person because yeah. like I think I think it's really important to think of just like where are you at this moment and not mm-hmm. really like try to base your actions now on a, either a what you've already done or be what you could do in the future especially with this type of project is like because sustainability even in the last 10 years is a very different definition i think when a lot of people think sustainability the only thing we think of is environment we think of how is this affecting the planet Mm -hmm. but there's so much more to this whole project and to sustainability than that just that i mean a biggest yeah environmentalism is a huge part of that but i mean let's talk about sustainable labor practices Mm -hmm. let's talk about how a large majority of the fast fashion and i'll talk about what that is is produced by either flat out slave labor or quasi slave labor um let's talk about corporate greed let's talk about flat out corporate lying about sustainability practices which we've seen that time and time again and so i mean i think a lot of people who know me would say counterculture is the farthest thing from how to describe me uh (laughs) but i mean in a way this is sort of a counter to popular culture rebellious sort of act to go against the flow of what is expected and what is perceived as normal when it comes to consuming from a fashion perspective right yeah and and it's like i guess what i meant by a better person me being the environmentalist i am i associate uh lesser footprint lesser impact as uh good but i should have said you're a more sustainable person now and you've even like obviously reflected on how sustainability can reach past you know the environmental effects but also i mean this is something that i've reflected on in the past year too because i you know with what i studied i grew up with these concepts but only in that vein of the environment and i've really been challenging myself to like look at how sustainable labor practices are, how sustainable, uh, yeah, the way that we're treated, the things that we do on a day-to-day basis, are they mentally sustainable, you know, physical sustainability for human beings, you know, things of that nature, and it seems like you've really looked into that too. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, from the outside, kind of have that life of, like, I mean, my lifestyle generally isn't suited for quote-unquote sustainable practices. I mean, Mm -hmm. I work a traditional corporate job. My job is literally to help large corporations structure transactions to minimize tax consequences. Like, I... (laughs) But it's, it's how do you work in... How do you work in that system to obviously make sure that you're doing your part and you you're not and that's a big thing i don't think anyone should go out of their way to be sustainable and that may sound stupid but i'll explain that mm-hmm. i don't think going you shouldn't go out of your way to be sustainable you need to figure out how to work within your system already to be sustainable because it 
A, it's costly to just, you know, decide today I'm going to be sustainable. I'm going to get rid of everything I own and I'm going to buy all this new stuff. Well, what did you just do? You just created possibly a hundred pounds of waste. Mm -hmm. And so it's figuring out, and especially with, from the fashion perspective, yeah, you, you can't just go out and buy a brand new wardrobe that's cost prohibitive, but you also shouldn't just throw away all your clothes. Right. So it's, it's building into it. And so I've had really struggled with that because I mean, I wear dress slacks, uh, Mm -hmm. button down shirt, like dress shoes and stuff, which a lot of times can be really hard to find sustainable options. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in order to get a high quality dress shirt, you're probably buying it from a high tier to designer company, which those historically are pretty anti-sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you work work in a system where a lot of my clients are large corporations, which in some cases even produce these goods? and these uh and create these adverse um human capital human labor um environmental effects and so it's finding the balance and i this was a long winded way of saying that like i am not perfect in this and i still and i don't think you can truly be perfect when it comes to sustainability because a, there's no such thing as perfection. And mm-hmm. B, what is perfect yesterday is not the same as perfect today and will not be the same as perfect tomorrow. Yep. And so I think that's why, going back to the beginning of this rant that I am on, that you need to look to see where you're at sustainably in the moment because and figure out what is the next decision I'm going to make? How can I make it as sustainable as possible in my current position so that's where this project was born of right now i have the i have the privilege of and i and i will admit there's a lot of commentary out there about sustainability sustainable fashion and uh issues of classism and um elitism and stuff like that and i think those are totally valid Mm -hmm. because Often what we're seeing portrayed in media for environmental practices is go buy this $30 reusable water bottle. And if you don't have this $30 reusable water bottle, you're like killing the planet and this is your fault. Mm -hmm. Or like prime example two, let's stick to a fashion perspective. Not everyone can afford to go buy that pair of super expensive Madewell jeans. And Mm -hmm. for some of your viewers may know Madewell, it's a pretty high profile clothing company that kind of lives in that sort of like sustainable esque perspective. And I mean, I'm on their website right now and a a pair of Madewell jeans. Okay. These are not super bad. Like they're 135 bucks. Mm -hmm. Like not everyone can go, spend $135 on a pair of jeans. 
Right, and a pair you. of Walmart jeans are like $15. Exactly. And you know. so, I mean, I've been reading some really great articles, too, from the um, black sort of side of sustainability, where often what we're seeing in sustainability practices is a very white lens. And, a ver- and not mm-hmm. only just a white lens, an affluent white lens. Yep. And so I think there's some really important conversations to be had from a fashion sustainability surrounding um, socioeconomic status. And again, how do we how do we make sustainability sustainable for all and not just sustainable for those who can afford it? Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's the thing, too, is like, ironically, I would phrase that as like the sustainable the sustainability of sustainability you know like how how can we make the concept of being sustainable more accessible more uh resilient when you insert all these different variables you know because like you're saying a lot of times and i've even seen this on like if you look up on youtube like uh you know minimalism you'll see all these videos of these guys that like had obviously had the means to like get a, buy a new house, get rid of all of their stuff, buy all new things, just less of them, you know, like you were saying, and just like they do this whole overhaul and people think like, Oh my God, that's impossible. But well, and it's just yeah, like, I mean, you have to just, yeah. How can you, how can I do, how can I be a little bit more sustainable or, you know, make one decision that might just slightly impact that where I am with what I have, you know? Yeah. And I think the minimalists are a great example where I think they kind of ride that line of like recognizing their privilege with Mm -hmm. regards to how they were able to embark on this journey that they're on. um, And like kind of being a little tone deaf about it. Because mm-hmm. both of them were pretty successful corporate people before they kind of decided, you know, just like quit their jobs and do this. Like, not everyone ha- can do that. Right. Like, I, it's, so I think that, like what you just said, it's like, it's level setting with yourself. And I, I just mentioned like something about like market research and I, I was looking at, um, like sustainable fashion industry um, and they're projecting right currently um, as of January of 2021, the sustainable fashion industry is currently worth $6.35 billion according to good on you eco, which is a great resource for looking up like sustainability rankings on like companies and stuff like that. And they're projecting by that by 2030, we could see it being somewhere around $15.7 billion. And so, I mean, in a way, we this whole sustainability concept has grown an economy of itself, mm-hmm. which I think there's an argument to be made that we could see the, quote, sustainable fashion industry being not sustainable in the future because... Yeah it's going to engage in market manipulation. It's going to engage in all these problems we've seen with, we've essentially created a business out of 
trying to reduce our footprint in the world. And I don't, to me, something seems a little off with that. Right. Because uh, now being sustainable is a for-profit initiative. Mm. And instead so, of the original message of like, that's why if, if you ask me how to be sustainable, I think the best way is to literally just don't, or participate in as little consumerism as you possibly can. The best way can. to be sustainable is to die. And to like, die and not have kids. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, and so, which is... But that's also ridiculous. Dark. Yeah. Yeah, it's... but, like, so they're, like, I mean, by its nature, being a human on the planet is not sustainable. Right. We are taking resources, and really, we provide absolutely no positive benefit to the Earth. Um, and so other than our interpersonal relationships. Right. And so I, yeah, it's, it's figuring out where do we kind of fit into this. And I mean, that's kind of where I've had this conversation with, um, other sustainable fashion people I know, um, in the Chicago area, especially cause that's, you know, where I live, kind of where I interact mm-hmm. is how do we, how do we in our small sort of way, encourage the reduction of our our let's call it fabric footprint mm-hmm. on the world in a s- small meaningful way because also i realize not everyone is going to drop everything what they're doing go out buy a sewing machine and just make all their old their own clothes like it's 1840 right like i i realize that also a lot of people aren't going to be interested in that and so I think there's tools you can use to ensure you're buying sustainable garments and clothing um, that A, aren't going to break the bank, B, aren't contributing to larger societal harm, and C, still make you look good. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, as vain as that sounds, everyone at some degree chooses the clothes they wear because they feel good in them and so for me that meant let's make my own clothes because i the feeling of i made this is it's really cool because you're like walking around like oh where'd you get that oh i made it like yeah some people are a little weird about that like oh you made that but other people are like really co- like really cool about it. Yeah. And so, um, like right now, the project I'm working on right now is learning how to make my own jeans. Um, okay. And so, it's proven. I mean, it's it's really interesting, and it's been proving a ch- proven a challenge because like a t-shirt is really just a couple tubes that you sew together. Mm-hmm. Jeans have a lot more going on. There's there's pockets. There's a zipper. There's a waistband. There's right. buckles. There's belt loops, there's cuffs, there's all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yep. Um, and it brings up an interesting question about what is going into your garment. And so um, cotton, let's, let's just set aside derivatives, but cotton itself is one of the thirstiest planets or plants on the planet. Mm-hmm. I, good on you had something where it just the, the sheer amount of water it takes to um make one t-shirt is just astronomical yeah Um, and so it's figuring out not that's been a huge challenge is 
how do I pick materials that are also still sustainable and produced in a sustainable manner? Because it does absolutely no good if I'm making my own clothes, if the fabric that is being used to make those that clothes is still being produced by slave labor. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just, I'm still using slaves. I'm just cutting out slaves at one pr- point in the production, but there's still someone whose life is being just controlled for capitalism. Like, yep. and I mean, I think you've talked about capitalism before it shortly about uh, just yeah. like it's, it's, I mean, frankly, capitalism is, is all kinds of messed up. And I think that's incredibly self-evident in the fashion industry. But it's a real challenge to find affordable, accessible base materials that are sustainable. Um, Because, yeah, you can get that, that denim that's produced at the small mill in Vermont that has been owned by the same family for 100 years. But it's going to be quadruple the price of that denim you can get from Kazakhstan right and so it's it's figuring out and I hate that a lot of these conversations especially and I'll admit a lot of my considerations are Mm price-based um I don't think whether or not you you choose to use products that are made by slave labor should depend on whether or not you can afford not to Mm because that's and so but it's a consideration. Right. And it's like, essentially, at a certain price point, you don't have a choice, you know? No, exactly. Because you will never find ethical clothing under a certain price point. And so if you don't have that money to put there, or you need to put it somewhere else, you know, you just simply don't have a choice to exactly. not purchase those clothes. And I think especially living in an urban setting that people, I think a lot of people think that, oh, you live in a big city like Chicago, you should have like lots of sustainable options. I would say actually it's a lot easier to be sustainable in a smaller community than it is in a big city. Um, Because I think there's so much access to or so many opportunities to not be sustainable mm-hmm. in a city is it you know driving your car the three blocks to pick something up versus walking is it that plastic cup you got from the coffee shop that you just throw in the trash can on the street which most likely is going to end up on the street at some point um is it constantly getting takeout and plastic forks plastic knives is it i mean i could go on and on Mm -hmm. and so i think that this project began as clothing and has kind of evolved into how do you live a sustainably urban lifestyle and what does that look like and what does that mean and i really don't know if i have the answer yet um I mean, a few of the steps I've taken is I bike everywhere, um, which for some people who've never lived in a major city and the thought of biking the streets of Chicago probably sounds idiotic. And frankly, sometimes it is. <laughs> but I mean, it. I have an electric bike. Um, and so I 
it gets me where I need to go fast. Yeah. And um, I'm not, I'm not using a car, so I'm not creating greenhouse gases. I'm not contributing to the production of oil because I'm not driving a car. I guess you could argue that I am contributing to greenhouse gases because something has to create my electricity. Uh, yeah. But I, I mean, at some level, we're all being unsustainable in that matter. I was going to um, say, we could just sit here all day and analyze our efforts exactly. and, and tell each other how at some point it's not sustainable still. But like you said, just yeah. literally being alive is, is, unsustainable. is unsustainable, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could say any animal that eats plants is technically unsustainable if if given mm -hmm. if over the population you know threshold or whatever but yeah you know in, in that vein too is like i just just taking initiative and taking like uh responsibility for like your existence and doing it in a in a way that like i, I don't and it doesn't even need to be a certain motivator just the fact that you're being conscientious you know, and taking the bike, even if it's for selfish reasons like, oh, I'm saving X amount of dollars on gas or, you know, I think that's just as fine as doing it for like, oh, yeah, I'm lowering my carbon emissions. You know, some of us yeah. want to do it for that reason, but also it doesn't have to be for that reason. And I would also say, though, that like saving money at some point is also sustainable. Right. Because, I mean... We were just talking about how expensive it can be to be sustainable by me, you know, taking my bike everywhere. I'm not spending the 250 every time I have to get onto a car and so, or on into or onto a bus or that, you know, $15 mm -hmm. to Uber. Yep. And so, I mean, that allows me to purchase that $130 pair of jeans, which I don't do now because I make them, but um, it provides the the capital to facilitate me making certain choices that are sustainable. Um, yeah, I'd say and, that's a great base uh, baseline kind of analogy for how to be sustainable. Like if you're saving money by not doing X action, it's probably more sustainable for like, it's probably more of a sustainable uh, oh, 100%. thing. And that's just a great, like, in any situation, like you're saying, like if you're going past your favorite coffee shop and you think, well, I could buy coffee, but it would cost me $4. I could save that $4. You just made a sustainable choice, you know? Yeah. And I think too, I mean, we were talking about how capitalism sucks, but also I think capitalism has been playing a really important role in this conversation um, in forcing companies that historically have been really bad in certain aspects of sustainability to kind of shape up and realize mm -hmm. that consumers want sustainability and you we want sustainable economic social environmental practices and if you're not going to give us those as consumers we're just going to stop supporting your brand right um and like I think that I think really too the dollar puts pressure on companies to meet the needs of consumers where we are and where we are right now is wanting sustainability. 
Um, yep. I mean, we all remember, I mean, it seems like every few years, another story about Nike using slave labor to produce our shoes um, and our clothing pops up in the news and everyone's outraged about it for a few for a few weeks and then it kind of fizzles away and (laughs) everyone goes back to buying their nikes and shopping at that store and uh and then we are so aghast again when it pops up two years later (laughs) obviously we're not putting enough pressure on nike to cut their crap right um and so okay let's find a different sporting brand to support um Adidas, for example, has done a great job of figuring out how to maintain their current line of business while still being sustainable. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember the shoes they came out with a few years ago, which were essentially just like made out of recycled sea plastic. Yes. Yes. Like, again, it was 100 percent a corporate gimmick. Yeah. But like, I mean, that that's the kind of action I think consumers would would resonate with consumers to um to do and i think good on you which is that site i mentioned earlier has done extensive talks about adidas and have it has it listed as a great um sustainable alternative for things like lululemon which frankly is lululemon is possibly one of the worst when it comes to sustainability in regards to certain practices um i know their labor standards are quite questionable um oh it's not necessarily That's juicy. i did not I know, know that yeah shocker and anger all your <laughs> your viewers who love lululemon but um i mean it from what i've read it most of the final stage of production um for lululemon's clothes occurs in countries that are like extremely um prone to labor abuse Mm. Um, and they have consistently been hit with not paying a living wage, which I mean, is a conversation we're having. Yes, they have a code of conduct. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily enough. Like if you're not like, if you're not empowering your workers, if you're, if you're producing goods in, in countries where there's a history of labor exploitation, are you can you really call yourself sustainable like that's the thing too is like you said you can put whatever you want in your mission statement but if you're producing clothes in a country that has zero workers rights laws or labor laws you know that are supporting the worker you are you're just turning a blind eye to what's going to be happening you know like exactly there's a reason why it's going to cost so much less to manufacture in china or bangladesh uh because the people that are running those factories they don't give a crap about the workers they don't have to because there's no laws that legally bind them to give a fuck Mm -hmm. you know yeah and i think i think that especially like in that athletic where it is really hard to find sustainable athletic wear. Mm-hmm. Um, I know one of my friends, she owns an all-natural sustainable yarn shop in Chicago. Uh, friend of your listeners, it's Firefly Fiber Arts. Go check her out. Buy some stuff from her. She's great. Um, 
but she refuses to carry any sort of synthetic materials. So mm-hmm. anything with acrylic, nylon, um, polyester, anything that could, yeah, anything that could generate plastic or microplastics, um, will not go into her store. Um, that's awesome. As far as far as the product, I mean, we mm-hmm. have certain like um, tools that have like plastic and stuff on them, right? But none of the the textiles in her shop have um, non sustainable elements to them, and so. And up until I had met her, like, I didn't know about microplastics. Um, uh, and yeah. they're just really detrimental, harmful effect on the planet. Um, and so that proves, too, that while I feel like I know a lot right now in this sort of project and journey, I mean, I'm probably going to get canceled if someone listens to this in, like, three years and be like, oh, my God, he was so ignorant to all of this stuff but (laughs) i'm just like you can only know so much at any given time yeah well Um, and and, oh i was just gonna bring up uh just kind of backtracking a little bit to your you were talking about so we talked about how capitalism has a detrimental effect on the sustainability movement but also how it has a benefit and there's this one quote that just like lives in my head and i don't know who said it i don't know where i heard it but it's like every dollar you spend is a vote for something, right? And so whether you're spending money at your local coffee shop or at a Starbucks or you're spending it on a, let's say, a local cobbler that's making shoes or Nike, that money you put there is a vote for whatever they uphold or whatever practices they have. And for your listeners, I did just site check him on that. That is an accurate quote, and it is by L.N. Smith from his book Sunrise Over Disney. Yes. Um, so I think that's a really good point. Like, uh, like yeah, a lot of times it seems like we are insignificant as consumers. Like, what a, what am my, what is my broke ass gonna be able to like convince Nike to stop using slave labor? Mm-hmm. But I mean, if I don't buy at Nike, that means I'm not going to be wearing Nike. People won't see me wearing Nike. They won't want to go and then see something they like and go buy it from Nike. And so it does have that sort of ripple effect of your one choice could potentially influence others. And that's why I think it's really important. Um, I mean, our lives are on social media now. I think in the the rise of the influencer and I mean, constantly we're seeing influencers getting canceled now for being tone deaf on certain issues. But um, I think that that sort the sort of fashion influencer community could have a lot of power in this area, because if they're choosing not to give voice to brands that are um, unethical, unsustainable, they're not going to get the free PR exposure they're Mm -hmm. they're not your people are going to see but if you go and buy things from companies um which are sustainable um and you do tag them in your Instagram you you wear them out and about you talk about them that's it's creating buzz around these sustainable brands who were saying yes you are doing good we are going to spend our money with you and hopefully that will pressure other brands which have room for improvement to kind of change their practices or die out 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when they see these smaller companies, uh, you know, creating a profit for themselves, they're like, oh, they're, that's money we could have had, but we mm-hmm. didn't because our consumers are getting smarter. <laughs> we can't, yeah. we can no longer hide the fact that we're uh, using child labor in China or Bangladesh or Honduras to create these shoes and t-shirts for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm really hopeful in that regard that the sort of slow fashion um, movement and the sort of sustainable fashion movement will start to permeate into other aspects. And I think a lot of that, too, is going to be a culture shift in America with realizing that if you want sustainability, you're going to have to pay a little more for it Mm -hmm. because if we're not going to, if you're not, if you're going to buy clothes that aren't produced with child labor, you're going to have to pay laborers a fair wage. And that means products are going to be more expensive. Um, And again, we have, I mean, there's so many issues in modern society and I'm not even just going to isolate it to the United States, but where, because of other factors, people aren't going to be able to afford to do these certain things. And so I think it's a larger conversation outside of just fashion and sustainability on how do we create the conditions to allow us to do these sorts of things. But that's that's for another time. Yeah, for uh, sure. That's I don't have five hours to talk with you about that. I was going to say, if you would like to, I would yeah, more than God. love to, but... But um but yeah like I was just going to share like, I I mean so I this is for the listeners but kind of like uh Blaine was mentioning earlier is like not everyone can be sustainable in the same way so it's um for example Blaine is like making his clothes he has those skills and the means to do it he's doing that whereas like me my take on clothing sustainability is to you know buy things that um, one, so my thought process is like, if I buy things that are made in the U S I know there's labor laws protecting these people. They're getting paid a, at least seven twenty five an hour. Um, you know, they're not being exploited hour for hourly labor. And once I buy that, then I try to, I try to keep it functional for literally as long as possible. And, so that I'm purchasing less in the long run or I'm buying more quality goods in the short term so that they'll last me, you know, three years instead of three months, kind of like Blaine was saying. So I think that's that's my take on that. Yeah. And I think a lot of what I've been talking about with buying is like buying from like, like brands that are specifically marketed as sustainable, Mm -hmm. um, which not every brand that is sustainable markets itself as sustainability. I mean, it's very trendy to say you're sustainable um, right now in the, the sort of marketing world, but there's a lot of companies that have been doing this for years and just don't brag about it. And mm-hmm. so your quality over quantity thing is a really good point where I'll buy. Okay. And so for, for example, like, I still use certain animal products. So like I, I do buy leather. Mm-hmm. Um, I use wool and I'll, I'll talk about why I, I don't think 
the wool argument is a good one. But I use those things. But I will buy the highest quality I can afford at that time um, so that it does last longer. So, for example, I buy my dress shoes from this brand called Allen Edmonds, which is, I mean, a high-end leather shoe company. Um, Mm -hmm. If you take care of them, they're going to last you 10 years. So I don't need to buy a new pair of dress shoes every three years. So by me not doing that, okay, let's, let's extrapolate that over... 18 because i'm bad at math that's six pairs of dress shoes in a landfill or because frankly i don't generally donate my shoes when i'm done because they're pretty worn out with and like i personally think buying used shoes it grosses me out i'm a germaphobe um (laughs) understand but yeah like i i mean they're they're wrecked and so that's six pairs of dress shoes in a landfill versus I will put one pair of dress shoes in a landfill maybe every 20 years. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, how can you use your purchasing choices to reduce your waste by buying that high quality? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think your point about buying an American made is a good one um, because often anymore, if you're buying American made, you're usually buying from an indie brand. Or a smaller company because all the ma- the big companies really have outsourced most of their production, mm-hmm. um, and those smaller companies typically put more craftsman- craftsmanship work and time into developing a product that's going to last. Um, and so I think that's a great a great tip is buying quality, not necessarily looking for sustainability per se, but it has that sort of ripple effect of being sustainable. Yeah, are you familiar with the term greenwashing? Vaguely, but go ahead and explain it for me and, and the listeners. Yeah, so so this is going off of kind of how you're talking about how uh, making this market around sustainability seems very kind of anti-sustainable or, you know, it's kind of hypocritical. But uh, mm-hmm. it's gotten to the point where the... Uh, quote unquote green market or the sustainability trend is so there's so much money in it. People are doing what they're calling greenwashing where they say uh, they put trigger phrases and stuff like on their packaging. Um, For example, there was one and I just saw this on Twitter, so I can't, uh, I can't pin it. Disclaimer advised everyone, I guess, but yes, we'll see. <laughs> but there was a, essentially like a bottle of liquid soap and it said, uh, made with a, made with a cardboard, a container. And like the person had got done using it and they went to like tear the container in half to, so that it took up less space in the garbage or recycling or whatever there was a plastic container under the cardboard greenwashing, you know, like they're trying to literally sell this and they'll upsell it because, you know, there are those consumers that will pay more for a, for an ethical, sustainable product. It's a status symbol. Yeah. And then it's a status symbol. And then you look into it and there's literally nothing sustainable about it at all because they, they not only didn't just use plastic or just cardboard, they used double the energy to put both just to get more money out of it. 
So that's just one example, but there's also cleaning products that claim to be green and people will like run them down their sinks and it just, it's terrible for the environment and they don't even realize it because they think, oh, it's like all natural, you know? Exactly. So it's, yeah. it's keep an eye like, out. Like, I, yeah, it's, and we're getting to that point now too, where you almost have to like screen your sustainable products to make sure that they're actually sustainable which if that isn't the biggest load of crap i've ever <laughs> heard like you're uh, having to check to see if a sustainable a product that says it's sustainable is actually sustainable right like and so i had mentioned wool briefly and i think what i like about wool and why i still use it is generally i will say generally uh, because there are exceptions to this wool and harvesting of wool for production use does not harm the animal um i don't it, the sheep doesn't die to collect the wool um and so it, it grow it's like grass and so i personally don't have a sustainability or an animal rights issue with it um mm -hmm. there will be some that disagree with me um on that point um but wool is a great sustainable fiber um to use it's naturally antimicrobial apparently i've never actually looked at the science behind that but every like big name knitter and wool person in the world says the same thing so i'm like hoping it's true um, i have also seen it, that so yeah and so it um is incredibly moisture wicking so you don't like stink um it lasts a long time it um, is warm it is also can cool you so it's a great versatile like and some and often local alternative to buying other types of textiles and so i like for example i tradition typically wear only wool socks because um a i can make them b i would rather have them than socks that are literally plastic fiber on my feed yeah um and see it's a really good way to support local producers and local artists and so that's my tangent about wool it really fit absolutely nowhere into this conversation that we were just having that's but, fine uh, i did want to put it in there i um, also stand wool i i got my first couple pair of wool socks and i love them yeah and so i think also learning about what your clothes are made out of is really important and so learning what is spandex made out of it's plastic mm -hmm. uh what is rayon it's plastic i think I, yeah i believe i'm gonna retract correct. i think it is plastic let me there's I'll something that there's something that sounds like rayon which isn't actually plastic but what is polyester it's plastic so what are some alternatives? Um, eucalyptus is a good alternative. Hemp is a great alternative. Organic. Oh. Rayon is composed of regenerated and purified cellulose derived from plant oh, so sources. So I will retract my statement. It is not plastic. It is sustainable. Um, it's natural. I will say that. It's natural. It's maybe not sustainable. Yes, but, it is natural. Um, so using natural fibers so that we're not polluting with microplastics is a great way to do that. Um, 
cotton we were talking about earlier, you have to be careful with some organic cottons because um, there for a while there was issues with slave labor to produce them. Um, I think mm-hmm. in like Kazakhstan and Central Asia. Uh, but, and it's important to make the distinction between co- organic cotton and GMO cotton. And generally, I think a lot of the, the hype around GMO is kind of unwarranted. Um, mm, there's yeah. a, cause there's a difference between GMO and genetically, um, like gene engineering. There is a, a legal distinction between the two, but GMO cotton, a lot of the times is made in a way where it can't be replanted. And so it essentially is abusive corporate practices to prevent farmers in developing nations from being able to essentially harvest their crops and have sustainable farming practices by replanting the next year. Don't you love That's that? Where, yeah, great. <laughs> great. Thank you, capitalism. Um, yeah, thanks, Monsanto, even though Monsanto, I guess, doesn't really exist anymore. But um, Thank God. Well, they side note for your listeners, it does <laughs> technically still exist. Yeah, they do. It is a subsidiary of the German Bayer Corporation. Uh, so, tangent. But that's where organic cotton comes in because it can be replanted. It is sustainable from a, from a labor and corporate standpoint. It still has the issue of it is cotton. It is somewhat unsustainable to grow. But in the sort of like labor law area it is better yeah definitely yeah this is a total side tangent but like uh i think it was last year i realized that corporations can patent seeds 100 percent. and i like my jaw dropped when i i was it was in like an online seed saving uh kind of seminar type thing and i was like you have to be kidding me. So, yeah. I, yeah. I actually wrote a paper when I was in law school about, it's called the Open Source Seed Initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a sense, essentially like open source, source code, but um, ge- like seed geneticists are creating genetic um, hybrids. And then they'll just post their, like essentially how to create this genetic hybrid on this sort of open source platform so that it's not secret and it's not proprietary and it helps like open up the means of production. Yeah. That's fantastic. And so, yeah, no, like seed patenting and God, I could, (laughs) I, I am not an IP attorney, but I know plenty of IP attorneys who would love to speak with you on that. Well, that's, that's a super interesting, that's like uh like one of the terrible side effects of like capitalism and private rights and uh just like I own this and no one else can also mm-hmm. use it without paying me. And that's like in its own essence such an unsustainable thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, totally different topic. But Yeah. So as far as resources for people because I think I've been rambling for like an hour now and I really haven't given people a ton of great resources. I think a great place to start is I've talked about them a few times. It's goodonyou.eco. Um, they do a ton of these like ratings for brands we love. So like 
Um, right now, right now on their splash page, they have how ethical is Everlane? Um, how ethical is Calvin Klein? They will take a brand, break it down by labor practices, animal welfare, um, environmental sustainability, and give them a ranking. And so obviously you should continue to do your own research past just looking at this, but it's a good place to start to kind of get a the base temperature on your products that you're purchasing. Um, they also do like editorial sort of commentary pieces on like uh, like 11 ways to wear sustainable hemp clothing is something they have right now. Um, and so it kind of gives you those conversation starter pieces um, for where to look and how to purchase and how to be sustainable. So after that, if you want to kind of get more into um, like understanding your sustainable clothing, start looking into the fibers that you're wearing. Go grab that sweatshirt out of your um out of your closet and look up what is it made of like understand what is polyester what is cotton what is wool what is all these sort of different like fibers that are in your textiles and understand the various impacts that they have on labor on the environment on pretty much any aspect that you consider part of sustainability after that is when you kind of can start freelancing so that's kind of where i think i'm at right now it's what am i going to do about it so for me it's making my own clothes when i can um it's trying to buy high quality pieces from brands that are both marketed as sustainable and not marketed as sustainable it's doing my research about the brands that aren't marketed as sustainable to look to see should i be purchasing from them should i give them that 75 dollars for that piece of clothing doing your research and making sure you are being a good steward to the earth when it comes to your clothing choices. And from there, it's really just have fun with it. Like figure out other ways you can live a sustainable life. Um, for me, it's figuring out how can I enjoy living in a huge city and still be sustainable. Um, I don't know if I have the question that, or the answer to that question yet, but, um, and I don't think I ever will, but it's kind of fun to see where I'm at right now. Yeah, and I will uh, I'll post all those links in my description yeah. for the podcast too, so it'll be really easy to get to them. Um also, I was just kind of laughing because I was just thinking about how Blaine described himself as not looking the part of counterculture, but like if you saw if you saw Blaine and I hanging out together you'd be like oh these are two very opposite people but uh yeah like i'll just drop my instagram it's blaine 2017 bryce did tag me yes um, i did and so you can you can peruse it's nothing special but um and i'll also link my or i'll also drop my handle for my um project page it's at advo advo knits k-n-i-t-s um i haven't been super active on there lately uh just because i have a lot of stuff going on it's the middle of tax season but i'm hoping this summer to kind of pick back up on it um and kind of document this journey a little more um but that being said yeah you don't have to look like bryce to be <laughs> sustainable and ethical 
You can look like a fratty douchebag like I do. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I, I feel like, you know, I kind of look like counterculture. Blaine does not look, look like apart. counterculture. Yeah. But I look like I look like culture. Like <laughs> yes. Yes. Blaine is the most cultured individual. Maybe and possibly don't you that dare I dare question that ever. <laughs> I would never blame. But awesome. um yeah. So is there any other notes you'd like to wrap up with or anything you'd like to share with everybody? I mean, like I said, just do what you can right now. Um I don't think you need to go out and th- burn your life in a bin and start over to do this i think you can do this incrementally i think you can do this at your pace and figure out what does this look like in your life to make those little changes yeah 100 percent. know that you do not have to be a perfect sustainable individual to try just just an effort is better than no effort at all so Blaine, thank you for speaking on your project. I think it's super cool, and I hope that um, I hope that you continue with it and grow it. And if you ever want to bounce ideas off or need another set of ears or eyes or whatever, I would be totally open to that. So, of course. And if anyone wants to kind of do this for themselves, feel free to reach out. I'm always willing to talk. So. Blaine is very receptive and he usually always answers your messages. So I can't say. All right. Thank you again, Blaine. And thank you everyone for listening and have a fantastic day.